Now, according to my Buzzsprout statistics, the majority of you listening are not quite at the wedding ring stage just yet. However, there is absolutely no harm in starting to pre-plan the old engagement ring. This episode is sponsored by the wonderful Boodles Jewellery. Boodles aims to create beautiful, unique and contemporary jewellery designs with an awareness of fashion and a sense of adventure and fun. Boodles has remained a family company and is now being run by the sixth generation of the Wainwright family, one of whom just happens to be my best friend. This friend also introduced me to today's guest, James Schoen, and James quite rightly referred to this friend as a faultless human being. I know I must be biased, but he isn't wrong. I feel very lucky to have such supportive friends, whatever form that may take. Thank you so much, Boodles Jewelry, for sponsoring this episode. Hello, and welcome back to season two of the Inside Out series with me, Susie Flory, a stripped back podcast that celebrates everything and anything taboo. This season, I'm joined by a range of amazing guests who open up, delve in at the deep end and share their own inspiring stories. Each guest's own journey is completely unique and together, through the power of real lived experiences, they help me teach those all important lessons you didn't actually learn in school. Hello. So I've spent the last 20 minutes faffing around trying to put a string of sentences together which will justify today's guest, but there really aren't any. So today's guest is James Schoen, who experienced a life-changing accident about eight years ago. I'll let him tell you his story, but his ability to see life in such a positive way is just such an inspiration in itself. Now he acts as a motivational speaker, he's an amazing dad, loving husband, and he's also a very good bread maker. All in all, he's a bit of a faultless human being. Please give it a listen, I promise you it's worth it, and his perspective on life just offers such a breath of fresh air. I was even reduced to tears, so I hope you enjoy it. Have a good listen. So I suppose we got put in touch, well, yeah. through Honor. Yeah. And he's a really good friend of mine. Yeah. And she sort of said a bit about your story. And I watched your YouTube video. And James, within about five seconds, I was in absolute oh. tears. And <laughs> in happy tears. Yeah, yeah. And I always say this. And then we spoke on the phone for mm. how long? About an hour. Yeah, yeah. And I walked out my bedroom door. And my flatmate said, oh, God, what's happened? Yeah. And I said, oh, no. nothing. He's just brought so much. Yeah. I mean, it was it's amazing. Oh, and I think yeah. that just goes from you. Yeah. I think you could just start by telling everyone your story. Yeah. I, I'm married. We have four children. And uh, my job, I was a teacher and uh, spent 16 years a teacher. Nine of those years, I was a housemaster. So the kind of pastoral gig always really kind of excited me. And I applied to become a head teacher, my first application to become a head. And a bit of a surprise to me, a surprise, I think, to lots of people, I got that job. And at the time, that was we were excited about it. I was 39, we were going to be moving on, and I think there was a sense of, you know, career, the career's mm. advancing, and the children could go through the school with fee remission, all that sort of stuff. And that was all good. And then I went for a medical, and um, my initial sort of thought was, I'm excited about having a medical, it's what you do when you're a professional footballer or something like that. I'd never had a medical in my life, and I... <laughs> it was full of intrigue. Now, I'll never forget, it was my school doctor, actually, who 
was, and he, he said to me, James, what, what are you so excited about? You know, and then it finished up with an eye test and the old, what's called the acuity board was brought out and my left eye was covered over and I went right down, I think almost the bottom line, bring it on, I thought. Then my right eye was covered over and I couldn't see the big, fat, bold A at the top. Mm. And my doctor initially thought I was teasing him. He said, come on, James, are you, are you having a laugh? You know, and I said, no, I can't, you seriously can't see. He then said something really alarming and he said, James, that means you're pretty much blind in your left eye. Did you not know? And I said, well, yeah, I sort of knew. My right eye's pretty good and I'm getting a bit older. Let's not worry about it. He said, no, we need to uncover what that is. So I went off to an optician the following day and the optician shined a kind of torch and magnifying glass trying to see if there was something in my eye that was stopping me from seeing. She couldn't see anything. And then she obviously was thinking there's something in his brain, in his optic nerves. So off I was sent to the RUH. And it was a really weird day, actually, Susie, because we, as a family, with our four kids, were due to be going on holiday to Greece on the Saturday morning. And it was a Friday morning, so there were armbands and, you know, nappies and everything everywhere. And I remember Olivia and I going off to hospital in Bath um, with a sense, we just left our children kind of be, you know, and said to a neighbour, we'll be about an hour. Well, we were eight and a half hours and we returned with the news that Daddy had a brain tumour. And um, I remember one of the hardest things in my life was the four children sitting down on the sofa and saying, we can't go to Greece and that Daddy's got a brain tumour. And I remember Herbie, mm. he was about 10, and his chin was wobbling as he tried to hold back the oh, tears. Oh, not 18-year-old Herbie. <laughs> yes. And he looked at me and he said, Dad, are you going to die? And at that point, I had no idea. All I'd heard from the consultant was that I was a very poorly sick man. Mm. And that was the start of the journey. And it's definitely, Susie, been the, the incident of my life that has turned my life upside down, inside out, the whole way. As, you know, life is not the same now yeah. in any way. And I think that's one of the hardest things to come to terms with when a trauma like this happens. You know, for five or six years, oh, well, I'm fine, you know. Oh, but I, life is different now because mm. there are so many things I used to love doing that I now can't do. But that doesn't mean I can't do everything. There's still something that we can do. So the thing that happened as a result of this was that you lost all your sight. Yeah, um, so I had two big operations, 27 hours of surgery, and oh I spent God. 80 days in hospital, which was a really tough time because I had this tracheostomy. I've still got a yeah. scar here. Yeah. Which meant that I couldn't eat, drink or talk. I, could, I couldn't swallow, so I, I was unable to communicate. And I, you know, I love talking. Mm. But we all love eating and drinking and, you know, there was a sort of sense of, I can't, I, honestly, I was sort of, it was very, very weird. And I always remember having this picture that I felt like, if you imagine a sort of Bear grill sort of island, I was on a palm beach having got this job and life couldn't have been better. And I felt like I was catapulted into the undergrowth mm. on my own. It was like, whoa, what's going on? Mm. The second operation, which was meant to restore the sight to my left eye, pretty much finished off the sight in my right eye. So I've got 10% vision in my one eye here, no vision here, which 
registers me as a blind man. But I can see a bit. I really can see a bit. And when you meet somebody who's got no sight at all, and it's quite alarming, you know, how different my life is, actually. Yeah. And um, I think, I mean, when we spoke on the phone, you, I think your approach and everything to it, sorry, I'm going to go in floods of tears <laughs> again. And I think you just have the most, I mean, you now you go and give these talks in schools mm. and you tell your story and you have such a positive and uplifting approach. And actually what's happened without putting it bluntly is you knew life at a hundred percent. And then that's in some way been taken away from you. Mm. And mm. I don't know how you've, I mean, because you're an amazing person but being able to re-envisage your life mm, like that and mm. you've I even see you now I just said to you I was so alarmed by when you opened the door and you gave me a hug and you're yeah. moving around your house you're making bread yeah, yeah, yes, <laughs> I thought yeah. god how does he do yeah, this and it's yeah. it's honestly such an inspiration mm, to see mm. and you're well, so I engaging I Susie I can see a bit and I you know I've learned so many really valuable lessons on 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 my sort of journey back and you know I think one of them is that growth mindset that everybody talks about that never say I can't but I can't yet and so something like baking bread you know the first attempt was hopeless and the second attempt a little bit better and you start to sort of you never say I can't mm. but you always say well I can't really do it but I'll give it a go and I'll do my best and you know I used to love playing golf and I you know for my first two or three years I was terrified to even hold the club and if I had a swing and a miss you know I was phased by it but now if I do that I, I'm not phased and I think that's the thing you've got to be kind to yourself and sometimes you know I played golf yesterday and I had a couple of air shots and that happens you know I can't see the ball very well so you have to do that and I think that sometimes the world that in which we live in you know there is such a sort of exacting nature to it that you know it's not very kind to people and mm. people are as a result aren't very kind to themselves and I think mm. sometimes you've got to say come on you know own up to this fact you can't see and and to miss the golf ball is okay yeah you know? more more than okay and <laughs> yeah, I, yeah i think that's so interesting that you say that because there is such an innate pressure that we put on ourselves Isn't in that? society Isn't and yeah. and we kind of set these standards yeah. and these goals and yeah. like we were saying earlier with expectations yeah. and then you don't meet yeah. them and yeah. you feel failure and disheartened you do. You do. and actually i think it's about yeah. everything that happens celebrating yeah. it as a small win whether yeah. it be burning the bread yeah. because actually you should be yeah. celebrating the fact that yeah. you've even gotten up to make yeah. the bread one of my real one of my favourite things is that a setback, I believe, is a springboard. Mm. And I really do believe that, that setbacks, you know, sometimes people use the word failure. And, you know, you can quickly define yourself by a failure, can't mm. you? Oh, I'm blind. Oh, my life's over. Or you can sort of try and bounce back. And the key, I think, is always to reflect on it and try and refine yourself. Mm. But what we often do is ruminate on it and then define ourselves. So we dwell on the doom and go, oh, I'm blind, oh, I'm this, oh, I can't do, I can't. And we never get out of that negative cycle. Mm. And then we define ourselves, my life's over. But we have one life. We have mm. one go at this thing called life. And, you know, we don't, age 40, want to sort of hang up the, you know, hang up our boots and say it's all over. Yeah. You know? I remember when you said to me and we had spoken and you said that there was 
first of all, I think when you first came back from your operation and you said you just felt like an old man because mm. you were sort of dribbling left, right yeah, and centre. Yeah, I was, I was, yeah. And then there was a moment as well where you fell over and you were walking, is that right? And you sort yeah. of tripped up yeah. and you went back to your room yeah. and you just yeah. lost it. Yeah, no, that was not that long ago. That was about a year and a half ago. Mm. I was walking through the village and it happens all the time. You know, I can't walk straight because I've yeah. had two strokes. And um, I fell off the, the curb of the pavement mm. and I didn't approach it with a, you know, again. But I suddenly got really angry and I shouted out. I mean, to the point that you might have even heard it in London. I sort of shouted mm. an obscenity. And um, that was the start of what I would now describe as grief. And grief's a very real thing. And, you know, what we do naturally is we love to deny, oh, it's all right. Mm. But grief is learning to accept and fully accept your new normal. And so this happened, it was eight years ago, Mm. the start of the process. Mm. And Mm. it's interesting that, I mean, I think grief comes in so many different ways and different times and these kind of series of emotions. But like you were saying, the denial, and then you get eight years down and here you are. It was six years, six six and a bit years. And I remember Olivia, my wife, would just sort of get so... She would just be real. You know, that's her real mantra in life. Mm. She loves authenticity and realness. And I didn't really realise, but what you're body naturally does is that it does a form of denial Mm. you know because the trauma I couldn't come to terms with yeah but it took six years and it it, it's like a leopard jumping on its prey I suddenly it's like what and then I got back from the shop and I lay on my bed and I I sobbed for about two hours and that was the start of what has been quite a messy journey the last year and a half where I might be sitting on a train or having a shower I just start crying you know for no obvious reason but it's learning to come to terms that term of you've got to go through to get through yeah you know it's so true and I think there's such an amazing thing about expressing your emotions Mm. and tears I don't know what it is but Mm. they have some kind of magic in them and they they just let everything go it's literally and how how do you feel now how are you today well you know today I'm a great out of 10, you know, it's solid, you know, 6, 7 out of 10, you know, Mm. fine. I'm still in that grief sort of valley, if that makes sense, Mm. of trying to come to terms with a new normal. And it's, you know, sometimes I think, oh, yeah, I can do this. But other times I find it hard. i tell you the kind of things I find harder is that when it's term time and I'm in a routine and it's pretty much Olive and I at home and I might be going off to places and doing things... That sort of is okay, but when all the children are at home and we're going off and we're doing things and cars are being packed and this, we need to do this and this and this, that's when it all gets quite challenging. And I do still get really tired. Yeah, you you were saying that you have the energy of 40% of a person. Yeah, or 60% 60%. I have. 40% a day I have. So after half the day, you know, I'm thinking, is it time to go to bed? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And you need that as and well. And with little children and, oh gosh. How have you found your, I mean, you have, I've only met three of them, but four amazing children. Oh. And they really are, like, even just sitting to your daughter mm. at lunch, such mm. an inspiration. Mm. And, I mean, they're just incredible. Mm. And how have you found your relationship with them as a result That's of a all really of this? That's a really good question. And I have That's to say, really your question. son, he's age 18, and he just seems like the most down-to-earth, empathetic yeah. person and... You can just you know, tell I, he's yours. <laughs> I, hope, I remember when I was 
when I was growing up, I had a friend with a um, Downs sibling. Mm. And I remember one evening, we were at this guy's house, and the Downs sibling basically, you know, pooed his pants. He, mm. you know, and as teenagers, that was the sort of thing that was quite funny and hilarious, and, you know, oh, who's done this? You know, but, you know, very gently and appropriately, this guy just, you know, ushered him out and helped him sort his, you know, mess out. And and I just remember remembering that and thinking, yeah, that's beautiful, actually. That's a really appropriate way to behave. Yeah. And I, in a funny kind of way, I hope that my children are learning, you know, that when Dad opens the fridge, he can't see anything in it, mm. you know, and where's the cheese? I've no idea, you know, of course I can't see. And walking through an airport, say, you know, somebody needs to take Dad's hand because otherwise Dad will get lost. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, there's an element to it that's funny, and but there's another element that you hope that they're learning a kind of kindness and compassion. And I... It's learning because a lot of the time they don't, they don't do it and they forget about Dad. But I remember having one really heartening conversation with Herbie when we were on holiday... And we used to do stuff together. We, you know, might hit a golf ball or a tennis ball or go in the sea together. And I remember saying, I'm really sorry, I can't do any of that now. I'm feeling really sad about that as we walked along. It breaks my heart that you feel guilty for something like that because he would hate that. But he said this to me. He said, but Dad, I'm thankful that you're still there. Yeah. And you sound the same, you are the same. And... You know, I now try and think of different things. So my dad and I used to play golf together and he used to take me up to Scotland. I was really looking forward to doing that with Herbie as a, as a young parent. I was thinking, we'll do the same. But now one thing that we do once a year, we travel up and we're both Liverpool supporters and we watch Liverpool play at home. And Olivia's dad has got a flat in Liverpool that we stay in. And, you know, that's our little thing that we do together yeah. once a year. And I just think those sort of little things, then that's part of, it's a new life, it's a different life. Yeah. And you you don't give up and say, I can't do anything, because there are still things you can do. Yeah. I think that mindset and approach is just so amazing, and it's, mm. I, I think that's the thing, It's we're so reluctant to accept when stuff goes mm. wrong, and we hate it, and yeah. it's horrible, and we feel cross, and it's unfair. We have a sort of rights-driven thing, don't we? That yeah. we, we have a right to not lose our health until we're 80, yeah. you know, but actually you get what you're given in life. And, yeah. you know, let's be honest, in the Western world and the world that we've been brought up and live in is it's pretty privileged, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, You know, we don't go without much. And I think, as you said, when we spoke on the phone, is that value of empathy is just mm. the most amazing thing. And I think it's like sometimes I've lived slightly ignorantly mm. and sometimes it just takes a little knock or something yeah. to happen yeah. and, my God, does it make you take a step yeah. back and yeah. just really appreciate yeah. all those other I things that you I love there's a line I, I heard somewhere that you follow a man with a limp mm. and that sense that when somebody has really been through something, and they've really experienced, you know, I think back to that ward where sometimes screens would come and be taken out of the ward because those people had died. Mm. Yet I was 40, I had four kids, I was still hoping to be ahead. Yeah. And actually I was hanging around people that were dying. You know, that's how ill I was. Um, and so you start with a place of, let's be thankful, mm. let's be thankful. 
had a, another amazing experience. I don't know whether I shared this on the phone of still having 60% of my dog mess in my head. Thankfully, it's benign, but once a year I need to go and have a, a, a check, an MRI scan to check on whether the tumour's growing and whether anything more needs to be done. And I bumped into my surgeon about three or four years ago and he remembered me. He hadn't seen me for three or four years, but, you know, came up, hello, James, how are you? It's like, wow, you know. I said, I'm fine, how are you? He said, don't worry about me. He <laughs> then said to me, did you take that job as the head teacher? And I said, no. Was that because of your eyesight, he said. And I said, well, yeah, you know, you can't run a school and you can't really see. <laughs> and, um, I'm sure you can, if anyone well, could. Then, then, then he, he looked at me, he said, so it's your eyes, is it? And, and as, at that point, kind of metaphorically, I had fallen into my poor old me posture. Isn't my life a bit rubbish? Mm. And I'll never forget this, Susie. He tapped me on the shoulder like a kind of headmaster, quite commandingly. And he said this, he said, James, I want you to know that I was that far from deeming you to be inoperable. Wow. He said, you had so much tumour wrapped around your brainstem that he said, I looked at you and I thought to myself, if I operate on him, he'll end up in a, in a, a state of paralysis or dead. Wow. He said, to see you today able to walk, able to talk, it's a miracle. Mm. And that's the point, is that we've got to dwell on what we have. I don't want to put you on the spot or make you feel awkward, but I literally said to Honor when we were driving here, I feel like you have been put on this planet for a reason. You are honestly one of the most special people I've ever come across. And your story breaks my heart every time, and I'm sure it will continue to. But... <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. No, you're, you're making me cry in a well, really good way. <laughs> yeah, but that, that lesson was was something that I come back to. Mm. Um, you know, day in, day out, you think, well, I can't, I can't, I can't, I'm not, I'm not. But actually, it could be so much worse. I could be paralysed and mm. unable to communicate. And that we can sit here and we can talk. And... Um, we can share and we can and, and I think the same with your story that oh. we've we've had a story we've had an encounter it's bruised us it's broken but it's not broken us up mm. it's 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 hopefully it's refined us yeah that's and we can learn from it right. and we can move forward and we can teach others mm. I think that's the point when mm. you go and you give talks to schools and you talk about these kind of balloons of self-belief and I think we spoke about this just at lunch and how there's such a lack of confidence in young people and is that something you really try to get across yeah I I, I remember I don't know if I've shared this but I remember when I came out of you know we so we we had to come out of our boarding house where we were living Mm. and then we it was quite difficult. We bought a small house on the edge of Bath. And um, this is the sort of start of September 2013, the start of that year. And at that stage, I still couldn't really properly walk. And every day, I would put on a dressing gown, blue dressing gown, I've still got it, and I would literally bum shuffle down the stairs. I couldn't <laughs> properly walk. So if I walked down the stairs, I'd just fall down the whole flight. And I'd get to the bottom and I would grab onto a sort of back of a door or back of a sofa and I'd get myself to my white chair. And my white chair was where I would hang out 
for the day, like a, a 95-year-old man in a care home. And I would fall in and out of sleep, and Olivia would kindly bring me a cup of tea every now and then. And that, that was my life. You know, it was so diminished. And I'll never forget a man used to come and see me as, with his sort of, you know, with his life coach hat on. And he used to say, ask me this question. He said, James, what's your passion? And that's the most brilliant question you can ever be asked. Because physically, I was ready for the scrap heap. I was a goner. Mm. You know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't. But when he said, what's your passion? Somehow it seared right to the centre of me. Mm. And I remember with my little high-pitched whimper saying to him, I want to see young people believing in who they are and what they can do. And he looked at me dead in the eyes and he said, come on, let's do it. And I'm sitting there in my chair, <laughs> unable to move. But that was the start of, of I Can and I Am. Yeah. Um, so I Can and I Am, you know, I speak at schools to pupils, to staff, to parents. And we're in a really exciting place. We're about to take ownership of a double-decker bus where we will mentor kids on the ground floor and make bread with them. Making bread's a very sort of cathartic thing to mm. do. and it's very therapeutic. It is, isn't it? Mm. Isn't it? But I, my talks, my presentations have really got three parts. I sort of begin talking about what I went through, which I suppose is a kind of life couldn't have been better to life couldn't have been worse, you know, yeah. overnight. How I have tried to get through. Um, and then I talk about the birth of I Can and I Am, and I talk about how for young people in today's world, they live with two pressures. One's an academic pressure mm. and the other pressure is social media. Mm. And social media, whilst it's amazing on many levels, you know, it's actually, the problem is that it is the principal platform upon which young people relate. Where those time-honoured relationships of, you know, putting your arm around a buddy and looking into the backs of their eyes and I'm with you, mate, and, you know, that sort of... Social media is, look at me, aren't I looking buff? Look at me, aren't I, you know, <laughs> what absolute rubbish, you know? Or look at me in my house, is my house amazing, you know? Aren't I on a great holiday and you're sitting on your bed and popping your 12th zit and, do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so those two pressures are leading to young kids growing in a sense of anxiety and mm. loss of hope, which is a sort of form of depression. And, I've now been to a number of schools where people have committed suicide. Yeah. That's just wrong, isn't it? Mm. It's, it really is wrong. So my message really is built around, if we've got air in our balloons, we are resilient, we bounce back. You know, it's like air in a tyre yeah. of a car. If we've got nothing there and we fail a test and nobody likes us on Snapchat... <laughs> it's not the the rim of the wheel that gets damaged, it's us. Mm. It's our sense of self. Yeah. It's our psyche. So I talk about my four pillars. And pillar number one is that sense of belonging. We all need to belong, whether it's in our families, you know, our tutor groups, our sports teams, whatever it is, that we belong. And I always say that, you know, the world now is a diverse place. You know, it's go into an office and you've got all sorts of creeds, colours and different types of people, you know. Mm. 
And I always say that, we, as I was saying at lunch, we want to develop cultures of collaboration. Yeah, not competitiveness. Not competition. So important. And too much competition is... It, it corrodes relationship, doesn't yeah. it? Because if we're always trying to beat each other, we never want to support anyone. Yeah. And actually, we're all different and we're all capable of different Aren't things. We? And it's Aren't that we? collaborative effort which yeah. brings magic. Yeah, it is. It is. The second thing I talk about is the value of the growth mindset. And I always tell the story of, again, not being able to walk. And I was at my mum's house. And a lady called Lindsay, who was a physiotherapist, used to come and see, see me every day. And her job was to teach me how to walk again. Age 40, father of four, about to be ahead, I thought. And I couldn't walk. And I remember once or twice sobbing into my mum's neck, like a baby. She said, Mum, I can't. I can't walk. And I remember her just saying to me, it's about small steps, small steps. And that's what it is, isn't it? Life is about small steps. But there's something with young people today that, you know, maybe the Generation Z thing, you know, the, the, the technology that people want it overnight, you know. And they can't be bothered with the effort. And uh, yeah. I learned golf. I want to be scratched the next day. Yeah. <laughs> I can't be bothered with all that. Time I only just learned about the other day. Yes. Or know. they, or they. Yeah, I think it's or the kind of the the big dream seems so unachievable that yeah. they don't even try in the first yeah, place because they're true. so scared of getting that's it true. wrong. And actually, yeah. if you don't try, you'll yeah. never know. No. No, I think the I, m- I remember reading the Carol Dweck's book Mindset, and thinking, oh, it's quite a nice idea, you know. But I will say now, you know, after eight years of disability, it's changed my life. You know, it really yeah. has. Don't say I can't, but but take those small steps. Mm. You know, the first time I went on a train, absolute chaos. <laughs> absolute chaos as I was trying to sit on people's knees and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> but now, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm an accomplished traveller. You know, I even do the London Underground. Wow, but, that's yeah, quite proud. First time I went to the London Underground, it was so funny. I remember um, I got somebody, an assistant, to come and help me who was called Abdul and, you know, very different, didn't speak much English, very different sort of... And we got to an escalator. You know how some of those escalators are so steep and so long? And because my balance had gone, I couldn't really see it. I got down, well, I can't do that. I can't do that. And I said to Abdul, I can't. He said, why not? He said, just hold me. At which point I gave him a bear hug like he was a long-lost friend and Abdul and I came down this escalator and we're in a sort of deep embrace, which I think he was slightly taken aback by. (laughs) Oh, that's so nice. Mm. And what's your third pillar? Third pillar is that we are all good at something. Howard Gardner wrote something called the Multiple Intelligence Theory at Harvard in the 1990s, so over 20 years ago, and he said this, don't ask how intelligent is Susie, but ask how is Susie intelligent? Which is to say that we are all intelligent in different ways. Mm. And um, school has a habit of the logical guys do all right, maths and science, the linguistic English, modern languages. But actually, you might be, say, really good with people. Mm. Gosh, we all know how valuable that is in life, but there's no, no exam at school, no GCSE for that. For emotional intelligence. Yeah. And as well as that, we're all good at something. We all have a distinct purpose. Yeah. I get such a buzz seeing somebody doing something and you think, yeah, that's you. You know, 
And for some, it's very high profile, and they're very good at sport, or they're very good at drama, and they get celebrated at school. But for some, it might be making something, caring for somebody, mending something, and it's hidden away. But when we're doing it, air goes in our balloon. Mm. And I always say to teenagers, it's not computer gaming, it's not partying, it's, you know, what is it that makes you, you? And when you're doing it, that's when your balloon gets bigger and bigger. Mm. And then my fourth thing is, I, one of the things that I feel passionate about is that in life we need a sense of hope. And I always feel that school kind of in many ways sort of almost closes off hope with a sense of, oh, have you got the grades? Are you going to scrape into that uni? Are you... I don't know what's going to become of you, are you, you know, because school treats you like an academic robot. <laughs> it doesn't treat you like a human being with bags of potential. Yeah, it doesn't. Um, it has a strict guideline if you don't fit it. in. Then... And, and you either are a fit in and fly through or you're a bit quirky, weird. And, <laughs> and actually the problem now is that the quirky and weird, if it's not picked up on, their balloons are empty, and they're the ones aged 18 are saying, the only way I can get through life is by smoking all sorts of weird stuff, or, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so I, 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 whenever I meet young people, I always try and ask them, what would you one day love to do? And um, if they look at me and say, well, I need those grades, I need to go to that, you know, I say, no, forget about that. Mm. You know, let your, well, your, your passion, let your... You know what your your purpose. Your, your purpose is. What you love about that, let that be your director director of travel, mm. and don't let a setback hold you back. Let a setback be a springboard. You know. Because I was going to ask you what your, I mean, one sort of piece of advice is to young people, but I think you've answered that, and more times <laughs> over. <laughs> well, the the one I'd say without doubt is is learning to be thankful. Yeah. Um, but as well as that, don't let a setback be something that holds you back. You know, let it be something that teaches you. Gives you, you energy and gives fuels you. Gives you energy all the way. Yeah. But if you can learn an attitude of being thankful, and I see it a bit like a bank account, dwelling on the deposits rather than the debt, mm. you know, I would say that's the most helpful thing. And is there anything, I mean, I'm sure, I don't know what ages group you speak to specifically, but I know young people can be quite direct or inquisitive or anything yeah. and I wondered if there's any questions that you've had from when you've given talks that have really just stood out in your mind and made you think about something which you hadn't initially thought mm. about I think one of the most direct questions somebody asked me you say you can't see why are you wearing glasses <laughs> <laughs> I, really? remember, I remember thinking oh and I said to him I said well, they're very fashionable don't you think they're cool <laughs> Sometimes you need someone to say something like that and it's just a bit of light-hearted fun. That's so funny. I think that's a really important thing as well, is that you remember to have fun and you remember to laugh and um, not see it all as woe is me and isn't my life terrible and poor old me and... No, that's and that 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 is what you naturally want to go to sometimes. Mm. I don't know if you've ever heard of um, Stephen Covey, who wrote the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's quite a legendary no. book, written ages ago. But he has something that I I dwell on a bit called the cycle of concern, which is like a big circle, and inside you've got the cycle of influence. Okay, and. 
we can spend so much time in our cycle of um, concern, you know, blah, 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 I can't do it. And what ends up happening is that that cycle grows and grows and grows. And your cycle of influence gets smaller and less and more and more insignificant. But you've got to keep that little cycle of influence of making decisions, you know, however small they might be. Mm. And that keeps that, that cycle alive and growing. Mm. Um, it's like I was listening to something the other day and they were talking about how much power we have and control over mm. the world and our lives. And I think mm. everything that's happened recently proves mm. that we don't. And mm, all we yeah. really have is influence uh, in the situations. Yeah. And you can't control what life yeah, throws yeah. at you. It's no. going to throw you snowballs yeah. in whatever way they come. Yeah. But you can influence how yeah. you then react yeah. to that situation. You can, can't you? I love the, um, the, the... I don't know if you've ever read or studied um, Viktor Frankl no. um, who was a, an Austrian Jew in Auschwitz and um, he survived at Auschwitz and which is you know none of them did they were all gassed I mean literally millions were mm. and he came to the conclusion in this cycle of influence the only thing that he could have influence about was his attitude and he decided when he was in Auschwitz which was living without and being beaten up and, you know, being woken up in the morning and working in the snow and digging pointless holes and stuff. But he decided that he was going to do it with a good attitude. Mm. And, you know, I just think that's just stunning, absolutely stunning, because he just had such a woeful life. And, yeah, he did it with a smile on his face. Yeah. I think that's just such a lesson for us all. It's amazing to be able yeah. to turn your headspace around like that, but it yeah. can it can be done yeah, can so be easily, done. and you're the done. only person that can do that. Yeah, exactly. As well, that sort exactly. of thing. Exactly. And I wondered, I mean, you don't have to answer this, and I don't want to intrude too much, but yeah. I wondered, is there anything that you're scared of, or do you now not feel scared? I think there is a sense of, you know, sometimes you can feel a bit scared or a bit hopeless that... I'm quite sort of, I'm quite powerless, I feel, that, that I need the help of other people. And without, you know, you've met Becca at the lunch table and, you know, she's an incredible help and yeah. obviously Olivia. And, but, but I rely on that, you know, I, I, I really, if I had to try and do I can them all on my own, I would really battle. But also remember that no one could even do that, even if they could see full vision. No. I look at you and I think you're one of the most powerful people I've ever come across. So. Oh, that's kind. But, but I do feel that sense of, you know, if if suddenly the wind changed direction, you know, I'm supported by lots of lovely people. And yeah. All the way through, actually, you know, friends and family have delivered and some. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think when we... As humans as well, I mean, I'm definitely guilty of this, but I like to be able to do everything myself yeah, and yeah. I didn't like my mother intruding or whatever it might have been. And I think as well, it's sometimes realising that you give so much to others, which you really do, mm. James, on mm. so many levels. Mm. And actually those small things that people can do to mm. give back to you, be it a cup of tea yeah. or moving something out the way or saying, yeah, excuse yeah. me, sir, please don't sit on my knee <laughs> or whatever it yeah. is actually is their way of kind of giving yeah, yeah. back and it's yeah. you know you've got to t yeah. enjoy it i had a funny so thinking about sitting on these i had a funny instant sometimes there's a bus just out here that takes me into the middle of bath and i get on that bus and on one occasion a, a, another totally blind man who he had no sight at all 
got onto the bus and he came and he sat directly on my knee. <laughs> and there were, I'm not joking, probably three people on the whole bus. And he sat on my knee and his wife was furious with him. Oh. And I remember saying, I said, I can't see either, but, but maybe we're bonding. You know? <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was Birds meant to happen. Birds the flock together, don't they? You know. That's so funny. Yeah. Oh. Well, James, thank you so much oh, for pleasure. sharing your story. Pleasure. Honestly, it's a yeah. huge inspiration. And oh, I, I hope pleasure. that you know, you probably never will know, but you would have touched thousands of people's hearts and you're mm. just waiting to touch so many more. Mm. So thank you. Well, it means the world. Thank you. So we'll just go on to the, the slightly more light-hearted yes, section. Yes, absolutely. So I was wondering if you could please tell me a book that you'd recommend. You've actually recommended a couple, but yes. is there anything that stuck out? Yeah, I, well, I think that Viktor Frankl book. Yeah. It's um, just amazing. called Man's Search for Meaning, but it's just okay. as good for women. Okay. You know? yeah, again, <laughs> that attitude, he, 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 he made the decision. Choose the attitude. And so I remember reading it. It was the last book I read before losing my sight. And I was in that woeful ward where I was talking about people dying. And, and I'd read this book, and sometimes actually my mum would read it to me. Mm. And I remember thinking, his life is so much worse than mine. Wow. I'm warm, I'm, I can sleep, you know. Yeah. But actually, you know, I look back on that ward and I think, how did I ever cope with it? People mm. were dying around me. But, you know, if you decide to set your attitude in one direction, it's amazing what you can... And so much more yeah, as well. Yeah. Do you find... Do you listen to audiobooks mm, a do. lot now? I do. Do you find them quite soothing? I do. I, I, I realise, annoyingly, I don't think I'm an auditory learner. Okay. So I can sometimes fall asleep when I'm listening to it all. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I realise that actually three hours of the book has been running and I've been asleep. Do you yeah. know what I mean? yeah. But I've, I've, yeah, you know, I think the days of Braille and are now over. You know, and the, you know what is being delivered for blind people is so much better. That's really the world good. To of audio, know. yeah. And I know we slightly discussed this, although yeah. you kept it hidden from me. What is your favourite condiment? Oh, and that I have thought about this. Um, you can have a few if you can't yeah. decide. Well, do you know? I think it's an onion chutney. Oh, I'm, we had caramelised onion chutney yeah, for lunch. We did. I we think did. I finished off did your you? tubs. Oh, boo! Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I love that. I I, um, I always feel that you can have any... I used to, when I was younger, I used to just mayonnaise on everything. Yeah, I love Sunday mayonnaise. Run, Sunday lunch was mayonnaise, you know. <laughs> but now it's, um, it's probably that one. Slightly um, more sophisticated. Yeah. <laughs> it's good stuff. And I'm going to ask you just your favourite local restaurant. Oh, or is there anywhere well, you'd you know, like I to go? I try to think about well, London, and it's a long time since I've lived in London, but it, when I lived in London, there was, there was um, I don't know whether it's still there, but there was a sort of English-style curry house. Oh, uh, yum. Chutney Mary's. Okay. Um, Whereabouts? I can remember exactly where it is. It's on the New King's Road. Yeah. As, as you go over the railway line. Yeah. And it was on literally on the railway line. That's um, so funny. Yeah, I'm, I don't know whether it's still there. But I'll have a look and find yeah, that for you. Yes, no, that was a favourite. But we've got a really gorgeous little deli in the village here. That's so um, nice. Everything fresh and everything made on site, so you can arrive there and the Scotch eggs are homemade and, yeah. you know, really. And you special. can wander down and pick those up. Uh, yeah, exactly, I That's can get so there. That's so nice. Mm. There's something so nice about doing that. Yeah, isn't I it? I think. Yeah. And a mentor or someone that's inspired you in your life? Mm. I've been really helped 
during this journey by this little Australian fellow. His clip is on my presentation, this guy who was born with no arms and no legs. Wow. You know, which, which is a wow, isn't it? But what he's got, and he taught me the value of thankfulness and dwelling on what you can do and do have, rather than always lamenting what you've lost. Wow. Um, and that, I think, has been quite a seminal lesson I've, I've learnt. Um, he sounds amazing. Yeah. He's called Nick Vujicic. V-U-J-I-C-I-C. For someone with dyslexia, I definitely needed you to spell that out. <laughs> yeah, Vujicic, I wouldn't have had no. that. <laughs> and if you could have dinner with three people, alive or dead, who would they be? Yeah. I realise you're a family of six. That's quite a difficult question. Yes, I Do you know, I have thought about this. So I have a faith, um, so I think Jesus would be there. Okay. But then (laughs) I've thought about it, and I've sort of thought, I don't want it all to be really serious. You know, I want want an element of sort of, you know, light-heartedness. I am a a, a fan of golf, so I think Tiger Woods would be in there. Cool. Um... But then I think Tiger and Jesus, that's sort of, you know, <laughs> quite different people, isn't it? And you do want an element of kind of, you know... And, and then the third, I I don't really know. I really don't know. You know, maybe maybe Olivia to kind of help sort of steer through the conversation. I, I thought sort of Winston Churchill, but that's just classic and maybe a bit dull and, you know... I don't think it's dull at all. I think your combination of Tiger and Jesus is always already yeah. a good one. Yeah, Tiger and Jesus. You know, maybe a Liverpool player. I love I love Liverpool. Maybe a sort of Kenny Dalglish or Stevie Gerrard or something like that. That'd be amazing. Um, but I think, I think I'd love to meet Jesus because, you know, Jesus made some pretty outlandish claims and I would love to get to the bottom of what they're all about. And just have a chat with yeah, them yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. And is there a place that you loved to go away, a travel destination? Do you know, I, I miss the Lake District. Mm. Um, so I grew up up in, on the Wirral in the northwest, and both my two older sisters went to school in the Lake District, and my dad had three old aunts who lived up there too. So my childhood, I was in the lakes a lot. Mm. But since getting married and moving down south, I, you know, I haven't been to the lakes for years. So I, I would love to revisit the lakes. That's um, good to know. Yeah. I'll tell Olivia after. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, this is a bit of a random one, but if you could have a superpower, what would it be? I think it would be to fly. Yeah, I th- it'd be really cool. <laughs> yeah, it would be really cool, wouldn't it? I don't know if you saw on the um, telly a while back of... of jetpacks that were sort of working and yeah, people going across the River Thames on a jetpack with a jetpack and I was thinking wouldn't that be amazing if you just attached a jetpack and just shot off somewhere you know feels like something you'd watch in the Incredibles yes. yeah it would be really fun oh well James yeah. thank you so oh, much and thank pleasure. you for having me for lunch yeah. and for letting oh, me meet pleasure. your family pleasure. and everything pleasure. it's honestly been Absolute so lovely pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Inside Out series with me, Susie Flory. If you enjoy the podcast, I would be so grateful if you could please rate, review and subscribe. Apparently, it makes it easier for people to find us. Have a good day. Bye.